Welcome to Industry Minds, the podcast which discusses the importance of talking about mental health within the creative arts. My name is Cathy Reid and this week we are joined by the lovely Lydia Ruffles. Lydia is an author who has written two novels about mental health and creativity based on her own experiences. She is also currently studying for an MSc in Creative Arts and Mental Health, which is why we thought she'd be perfect for an episode of the podcast. Hello Lydia, how are you? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, apart from TFL not really being on my side today, but it's fine. So um, just before we get started with the interview, we always play a little game, got a wee word association game. Don't freak out, everyone freaks out. This is like a very Freudian start to this. (laughs) We love it, we're a bit like that. So, first draft. (laughs) Throw laptop off balcony. (laughs) Editing. Oh, even worse. <laughs> Mac and cheese. Uh, yes, please. DFS sale. I don't know what that is. <laughs> you know the sofa company? DFS, they always have... Oh. <laughs> I have no thoughts on that. <laughs> DFS sale. <laughs> we like to put random ones in. Um, Halloween. Americans. <laughs> University. Oh. I've been a lot. Perpetual student. <laughs> Cheeky G and T. Um, I don't drink. Ah, so just the tea. <laughs> just the tea. Herbal tea, as we've got today. Great. So Lydia, you're the first author that we've had come on the podcast. Um, how did you find us and why did you decide to contact us and come on to chat? Um, so I found you, I think, on Twitter. I was just searching mental health and creativity and creative arts as I do sometimes and I came up um I think it was before you'd even put any episodes out um and I just thought it sounded like a great idea um I I love podcasts I love being on them I love listening to them so yeah I just um went rogue and got in touch um what I'm supposed to do is get my publicist um to tell me what to do but I really wanted to talk to you guys so yeah just dropped you an email and asked if I could come on here we are so you've told us that you have experience with uh, bipolar disorder, OCD and panic attacks. When was the first time that you realised that you were struggling with your mental health? Just talk us through your story. Um, so in my second year at uni, when I did my undergrad, I was studying theatre and performance. I started um, having what I kind of eventually understood to be panic attacks. I went to the doctor about it and um, he wasn't super helpful this was like quite a long time ago when I did my first degree um and I kind of put it down to lifestyle factors which I think probably did play a part in it like I was definitely drinking way too much burning the candle at both ends um like generally you know not having kind of a great lifestyle which for some people doesn't affect them for some people it does and it it does have an impact on me um and then that kind of was on and off for a couple of years, but it didn't. It wasn't like really bad. Um, didn't get to the point where it was debilitating. Um, and then a few years later, um, when I was about maybe 25, 26, I started experiencing um, OCD, which for people who don't know, stands for obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, and I had some of the characteristics that are kind of, associated with OCD like the kind of common things that you know you you might see on TV like the compulsive hand washing and uh, like fear of germ contamination and things like that Um, and then some of the like lesser known versions of it which is around like intrusive thoughts with OCD there isn't always a kind of visible form to it there isn't always a an action um, or a a compulsion sometimes it's just the um, the thought Um, so that went on for a while and it was a bit of a like game of whack-a-mole like I would get one area of it under control and then something else would kind of pop up in its place um and then I went uh traveling and when I came back um I started feeling really ill and it, it turns out like this is like a really long story but it turns out that I had caught a a virus which caused what I found out five years later was a type of migraine um but in between that diagnosis and the the catching the virus there were like five very challenging years of having a lot of strange symptoms um to do with like balance and um 
strange things happening like to my vision my movement um and a lot of like very severe head pain um and so that was obviously like not great anyway but on top of that like not knowing what was wrong with me caused a lot of anxiety and so the panic attacks came back um at that point and I also started experiencing um other things uh to do with uh, that are, that are caused sometimes when you get a great deal of stress like um derealization depersonalization so that's like um derealization for example like I would go outside and I would feel as if I was in a computer game like nothing felt real like cars just seemed like these strange objects that were like beetling along the road and just had kind of lost that like hook into reality um and then with depersonalization um it would be things like I would look in the mirror and not really like recognize my face like I knew it was me but um I felt like very distanced to myself and that's not uncommon with people who are experiencing very severe anxiety um so that was all kind of going on eventually got diagnosed with this um type of migraine and a lot of the anxiety went away um with that um and then on top of that (laughs) also I have uh, bipolar disorder which is um a a mood disorder um whereby it's kind of characterized by um periods of like very low mood and low energy and then um uh, sometimes other periods of like very high um elevated mood like being uh, kind of different levels of it so there's hypermania which is the kind of less severe form of mania where um you're maybe like super productive you're feeling very confident and you've got like flight of ideas and you're making associations that you might not normally and then if that goes up a gear into mania um people can experience psychosis and it can be very dangerous um so yeah that's that's it in a nutshell basically <laughs> quite a lot going on there yeah <laughs> So we've had many people on the podcast uh, talk to us about their experiences with drama school and how they felt unsupported while studying. Um, University can also be extremely stressful. Talk us through your education. (laughs) How long have you got? (laughs) Um, So I am one of those people who's like constantly doing some kind of evening course um, or studying for, you know, like at the moment I'm an author um, and a freelance journalist and I'm also doing a master's and it's not, you know, the first time in my life where I've been studying and working full time. Um, and I think for me, um, I have realized that it's actually really helpful to my mental health. Um, it helps keep me um, in balance. So, for example, like I used to work um, in a in a very corporate job. I was a senior communications manager for a tax consultancy. So that was obviously quite sort of left brainy if you want to think of it in those terms and so when I was doing something like that in order to feel balanced I had to um go and do something creative um and quite often that would be in the form of education um but I think you know it's probably different now like when I did my undergrad that you didn't have to pay nine thousand pounds to do it um so immediately although it you know you did you were paying for it it wasn't such a big cost um and I felt like I didn't feel under particular pressure. It was more like when I got to the end of it, I didn't feel as if I was particularly well prepared to go and, you know, get a job and like live in a normal house and yeah, just, yeah, adult as a verb. Um, so yeah, I think, and I think that's what's really important is to recognise that it's different for different people. Some people find deadlines and um, incredible, incredibly stressful. Some people like the idea of doing a presentation in front of a class is really, really anxiety-inducing, and um, other people like really kind of thrive on that sort of thing. So I think it's about you know there needing to be space within education systems so people aren't kind of put under undue pressure or being asked to do things that's um you know potentially like quite traumatic for them um but as I said for me it's always been I think it's like almost a form of escapism and it really helps me like I just like going to bed knowing that I know something that I didn't know this morning when I wake up I find that really um like heartening and um I don't know I just I think it's just something I think it's 
you just have to realize what your relationship is with certain things and I have a good one with education but that's you know not for everyone is it <laughs> that's good that's really good so going back to the mental health issues that you talked about uh have you sought professional help for those issues yeah, I definitely have relied on um, professional help quite a lot, especially in the last five years. So um, at the moment, I see a psychiatrist, well, depending on like what kind of mental state I'm in, um, it kind of dictates how often I see her. But um, I saw her yesterday and I'll see her again in six weeks, for example. Um, and this year, I've been seeing a therapist on a weekly basis. I've been kind of in and out of um, therapy over the last four or five years um so definitely it's been a big one for me and I think um and and, you know that's because I have diagnosed mental illness when we're talking about um mental health in general and I think it's really important to make that distinction it it won't always be necessary um for some people you know kind of making their own changes or talking to friends or family or whomever will be enough um and for other people recovery will will probably be difficult without asking for help um and that was definitely the case for me like it just got to the point where things were um not sustainable um in terms of you know the the kind of swings in (laughs) moods and like the decisions that I was making um so for me it's it's um yeah it's it's been like um life-changing I guess um but uh, but also on the on the other side I have to say like it took me a while to find the right therapist and I think that's something that isn't always acknowledged like definitely we need to be talking and asking for help I think also accepting that sometimes the first person that you ask might not always be able to give it to you um and I guess linked to that sort of recognizing how hard it can be to ask for help and and this kind of idea of like actually we need to be reaching in to each other and like checking on our friends or colleagues or um you know students or whoever it may be um I think sometimes with asking for help um you almost need to be like you have to be in the right state of mind to accept it you have to be ready for it um and I definitely found that with going to therapy, like the first two or three times just didn't work. And then it got to the point where um, like everything was just very out of control. I was like, you know, I quit the same job that I had like three times, went back. I like moved to a different country. I would go on these kind of benders and come to and find out I'd moved to Portugal. So like clearly something was really awry there and I needed to step in. I mean, ideally like kind of take responsibility for yourself before you get into those sorts of situations um but I think there is something about being ready and um finding the right person you know you have to be kind of willing to um make yourself vulnerable to to them in order to kind of take steps and and also there are lots of different types of therapy um you know we hear a lot quite a lot about something called cognitive behavioral therapy um particularly to do with like anxiety and um OCD and for me personally that wasn't effective um I ended up just responding much better to kind of more general like psychodynamic talking therapy um so like it's also about recognizing like the same thing won't work for everyone yeah I know that's very true So as we said in the introduction, you're currently studying for an MSc in Creative Arts and Mental Health, um, which is incredible. I think it's great that you can study such a specific topic. Um, What led you to this decision? Yeah, so I'm doing this MSc at Queen Mary University London, and it's split between the drama school there and the um, Centre for Psychiatry. So it's very much um, both kind of driven from the arts and science side of it. Um, And the tutors are just amazing. Um, It's the kind of course like, I think it's only been running for maybe one or two years. um, And it's one of the only, I think it might be the only one in the country actually. So very kind of in the early stages, but um, I just was fascinated it just pulls together like so many things that I'm interested in and so many things that I think are really relevant to um cre- you know creative industries Every- everything from um like how is mental health represented on stage like is it contributing to kind of stigma and stereotypes or is it helping 
to you know maybe to educate people or and how do you kind of walk that line between um entertainment and being responsible um then we're looking at things like the history of madness um and and then kind of more general stuff around psychiatry like how mental health systems work and then things around like how creative arts can help in preventative medicine how they can help people stay well um so there are lots of studies that show for example that um creative arts can help you know keep people out of hospital um there was one study i think it was with stroke patients who were prescribed arts activities by their gps and um was kind of really contributed to helping them stay well we hear things about um you know art therapy being used with people with post-traumatic stress disorder and it can be really useful for people who um maybe don't have the vocabulary to talk in kind of more traditional like talking therapies um so it brings all these things together um and as someone who's written about mental health both from a kind of fiction and non-fiction point of view um and who has worked in like communications around mental health campaigns and had personal experience I was like this is a no-brainer like I have to do this um and the opportunity to kind of conduct my own research as well was really exciting um so yeah I'm just I'm really happy that the course exists and I also like definitely recommend it to anyone who's kind of interested in um pulling those things together we get the chance to do a performance project and um hear from visiting psychiatrists and it's a real mix it's, yeah. it's like perfect for what I was looking for that's great and um lovely little segue you just put in there to then my next question how far through your research are you um and is there any like findings or useful information that you've come across that could maybe um help people listening so one of the things that I'm really interested in is um, whether or not there is a link between creativity and mental health. Um, and there's been there has been some studies looked into this um, over it goes back you know hundreds and hundreds of years. This idea that there's some sort of link between um, being unwell and being creative. Um, and actually, if you look at the research, um, there's the the link is tenuous um a lot of the studies are based on very small samples or there's no control group or um things are not kind of defined properly um that said there was a study that came out from sweden i think early this year um which showed that um people studying uh, quote unquote creative subjects were more likely to develop um, depression or bipolar disorder or schizophrenia later in life. But again, it was based on kind of anecdotal evidence. So it's something that I'm really interested in. And and also like why, um, even if there is a link, like what's the causality? So for example, like just because I'm an author, like I've looked specifically at what the links are between writers and mental illness. And there is there was one study that showed... Um, that writers are more likely to have bipolar disorder. I mean, it's full of holes, so don't kind of take this as given. But if you do take it on face value, what it doesn't show is like, well, is that because, um, you know, bipolar gifts people a special kind of creativity that allows them to become writers? Or is it because bipolar, um, I don't know, makes it difficult for you to work a nine to five job and so you look for something less traditional and and so there's there's just like lots of interesting threads of research that haven't kind of um been fully developed um and I also think it's like really interesting to think about why if there isn't a link like why does it persist in culture and I think it's partly to do with the way that we think about creativity we think of it as something that's like other and special and requires access to like a different parts of our brain or um you know in order to make these kind of leaps and associations and so I think to make that connection between other types of divergent thinking for example like the way that I might think when I'm um like in a really like elevated mood so I think there's that and then also the brain makes um shortcuts so if I say to you like um artist it's quite a high chance that you'll think of like Van Gogh cutting off his ear. <laughs> um, and so because that becomes like the example that we reach for, we don't think about the thousands and thousands of other artists who are sat with, you know, all their ears and other extremities attached to them. Um, so 
and and also I think um we see a lot of stereotypes around like artists and creativity in films and in TV and, and in books to an extent and I think it's just I think they're popular because it allows um access to something that you might not otherwise get in your life like it's exciting to see people transgress sometimes especially if you're not carrying any of the risk yourself and so I think all of these like things get bundled up but in terms of what I think is most useful for people um, working in creative industries, I think the most important thing to um, think about is that like being mentally ill or pain is like not an essential ingredient for creating art. And so you can create art from a very dark place and it can help you get out of it. For example, I wrote my first book, The Taste of Blue Light, in bed. Um, literally, I was in bed and hospital waiting rooms for a year and I wrote... Um, the whole thing during that period so something can come out of it but on the flip side I wrote the second one Color Me In whilst I was feeling much better I was like traveling around Japan um, and and both created a result so it's not you know and anything that encourages people to kind of dwell in these stereotypes I think is just really damaging and just inaccurate No, no, that's really interesting. Um, it's really great having you on. There's lots of stuff you're you're coming up with that I've not ever thought about before. So yeah, that all sounds like super interesting. It must be, I'm assuming you have to write some kind of dissertation at the end of this. I can't even imagine how much stuff you're going to have to write. Um, are there any kind of themes you're seeing emerge within your research? Yeah, I mean... Uh, the dissertation I've got so many ideas on the go at the moment but something that I'm really interesting interested in which I think um is also relevant to your listeners is the idea of like how do you keep people safe um whether that's performers or audiences or writers or anyone involved in a production so um whilst kind of accepting that with these kinds of careers you might not have for example like the stability that you would have in in another industry um there are things that can be done and then specifically when we're talking about um working with material around mental health there's a lot of um stuff for example on london stages and no doubt around the rest of um the country about mental health at the moment um and quite a lot of those things are written by people with their own experience of it so i'm interested in like how that work can be made without kind of forcing people into dark places and then how do you look after your audiences so you know there's like some debate around sort of trigger warnings or um I heard about a really interesting production called um I think it's called Smack That which is um a by a choreographer called Rhiannon Faith which is it's about domestic violence and they had a psychologist on hand um, to work with the dancers and participants while they were um, devising and showing throughout its run, which is kind of, um, because we're so unused to that sort of thing, seems like a really extreme example, but actually potentially that's that's a really responsible way to do it. Um, so that's probably something that I'm going to look into, I think. How long is it? Like in, in words, how many words is it supposed to be? So the dissertation is um, 15,000 words, but bear, bear in mind I've written two books, one of which was 80,000 and one of the other which was 85,000. So the issue for me actually will be to condense it down. Um, and, and also, as with anything like that, most of the work is in like the research and pulling your ideas together and getting an argument Um like from your face I can tell this is not something that you would embrace but from yeah for me I think I'm in a very fortunate position where like you know carrying on a story over a long word count is probably the the thing that I will be good at I mean I can't even imagine my 3,000 word essay about my final year show was enough for me <laughs> So what advice, um, as someone who is studying mental health and creative arts, could you offer to creatives who are struggling with mental health or perhaps want to learn more about mental health? Um, I would say, firstly, I'm a doctor, not a doctor, so don't see me. <laughs> um, the things that I find, like, really useful that I just try and remind myself um, 
are like firstly remember that you're not a robot um so you know we all have like the same basic needs at the end of the day like food shelter um safety connection um and so you know we're complicated machines um for want of a better word and so sometimes you know it don't, don't be scared of like not feeling amazing 100% of the time like anxiety is a totally natural normal response to some things just to use that as an example it's when that becomes like invasive that it's problematic um I would say also I always say like boundaries not baths I feel like people in like all this kind of conversations about self-care is great um but you know having a bath can only get you so far um and ideally you need to kind of set boundaries and know what your um you know what's going to make you feel good and what's going to maybe make you feel unwell um put that in place and try and stick to it and that can be a bit of trial and error it definitely has been for me like mostly error over the past few years but I feel like now I have a good understanding of it um and I would say also like the more um I'm going to sound like a hippie now, which I'm not, but like the more in tune with yourself you are and the more you understand like what makes you tick, like what your goals are, what makes you feel good, the less likely you are to get blown off course by stuff that you can't control. And I think for people in that, in creative industries, it's probably particularly relevant um, because there are times when you, you know, you'll just be working as hard as you can and things won't work out how you want to. Um, And hopefully that's kind of balanced out by, you know having great people around you have doing amazing work and getting the opportunities that you want to some of the time um but I think like having a sort of strong understanding of yourself so you don't get knocked off course too much um and then I think like more broadly um talking about mental health which obviously is the purpose of this podcast um and I think that's that's brilliant and um you know, I do, I do a lot of talking and writing about mental health. Um, but I think we are at the point now where we kind of need to move the conversation on um, a little bit. Um, and particularly kind of around the, the language that we use. Um, and so, for example, um, you know, and this is not about like pulling people up when they use, quote unquote, the wrong language. Like we still need to be kind of generous and open to learning. And, but where you know where we are talking about things making sure that we're not using language that's stigmatizing um like you know I would probably amongst my friends refer to myself sometimes as being like mental or or I'm like having a really mad day but I wouldn't use that in reference to someone else so I think just being careful about using language to do with mental health as slurs um and we're in this kind of weird cultural time at the moment where you know everyone's on Twitter like diagnosing Donald Trump with narcissistic personality disorder whereas I think very few of us know the diagnostic criteria for that condition um and so yeah just just kind of being a bit careful about how we talk about things but also being generous and accepting that sometimes we're going to get in a muddle and we're just all kind of finding our way around this topic um interesting that you should um bring up language I saw on Twitter last night a video uh, that just sparked it off in my brain and it was a, a kind of spoken word typey poem thing that someone had done about people using the phrase oh I'm a bit OCD to refer to um like oh all my all my books are in alphabetical order or oh my desk has to be like that and how we might not think it but actually saying that is just it, it, it's just it's just wrong you can't use that because it's I mean, in my view, it's quite disrespectful to people who actually do have OCD. It's like, no, you just like your books to be in alphabetical order. It's not <laughs> taking over your life. Um, so I think that that's really interesting that you've brought that up. And it's that's why we need to keep talking about mental health so that we do know the the right language to use and what what not to say just to just to not be not be a dick, basically. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, I totally agree. Um, and I think, yeah, either you have OCD, which is a diagnosable illness or you're like a bit pernickety they're not kind of things that that they're not the same thing um and I think it's the same thing around like um you know I've had said about me like oh Lydia is bipolar like you wouldn't say Lydia is depression or Lydia is OCD like 
Lydia has bipolar or has bipolar dis- dis- um, diagnosis is fine. Um, it, you know, just those little things that make a big difference when we're talking about things. It's the same as, um, you know, language around talking about suicide. If headlines saying, using the phrase, commit suicide, which is totally unacceptable. And, and anyone who's working as a journalist should know that there are guidelines around how to report on, on suicide and that, you know, now we say died by suicide because it's not a crime. Um, and it's all those kind of little, like, microaggressions that make it so difficult for people to talk about things. Um, and so I think, as we've said, it's got, like getting that balance of not kind of punishing people for maybe saying the wrong thing and being open to the fact that we're going to make mistakes, but just being like really mindful and conscious of how we're talking about things. Um, And for people who are like really kind of interested in this kind of stuff, I did a mental health first aid training course, um, which I really, really recommend, um, particularly if you want to start having conversations with others about their mental health. I think it is you know it's it's it can be a difficult thing to talk about at first and um you know we worry for example like talking about suicide I I, before I'd done this training would find it very difficult to say to someone like are you having suicidal thoughts or you know do you have any plans to plans (laughs) any plans you have plans (laughs) to harm yourself (laughs) do you have any plans to harm yourself um because I would think oh maybe that's going to put ideas in their head but you know there is research which shows that's not the case and that um you know reaching out and having those conversations does save lives um so as you said like language is just so important so let's get on to your writing um you have written for some amazing websites and newspapers including uh the guardian buzzfeed and the sunday times style yeah um Writing is definitely a creative outlet for uh, that a lot of actors actually use as well. How does writing uh, affect or yeah affect your mental health? I think um, like the relationship between writing and mental health is really interesting, um, especially when it goes from being a hobby to being something that you're paid to do. Um, so I, I've always had jobs that involved. Uh, like some kind of writing but I've only only became a novelist um my first book was published just over a year ago um obviously I was working on it for a bit before that and um as I said like I started writing it when I was very ill and it was definitely like um and and it's kind of part like escapism and part like really needing to have a purpose because I wasn't able to work at the time um and I think you know, there are lots of studies show, that show the link between creative writing and well-being um, as a means of just kind of expressing yourself or um, helping to understand yourself a bit better. Um, I have to say, I actually don't do any of the kind of, like, specific therapeutic mm-hmm. a- um, activities around writing. That There's something called morning pages, which I think some people do, where you wake up and the idea is you just kind of blurt onto paper and then I think you just throw them away. Um I don't know whether you're even supposed to look back over them, but I don't do stuff like that. Um, and as far as like writing for um, papers goes, the reason that I did that was almost um, to like force myself into talking about things. I'm quite all or nothing. And so for a long time, I didn't really say anything to anyone. And then, um, yeah, like next thing you know, I'm like writing for the Guardian or the Sunday Times about it. Um which is obviously not the approach that everyone might want to take. But for me, I found it really helpful. Um, And it has started conversations. And I have to say, actually, I think fiction in some ways can be even better at at starting conversations about stuff like mental health. And I don't know whether it's just because people are maybe a bit more comfortable talking about characters than they are um, real people. Um, But... Yeah, I've, I've had some really great conversations as a result of writing and it's something that I really love to read about as well. Like I, I will devour any kind of um, book or article or film or performance or whatever it is relating to mental health um, just because obviously I'm like personally and professionally interested in it and um, because in general I think brains are fascinating <laughs> and lend themselves well to kind of that kind of um, investigation. And you've also been on uh, many radio shows and podcasts, um, including on BBC Radio 4's Women's Hour. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
and BBC Radio 2. Um, what do you think that you can bring to these conversations that is important for the general public to hear? It's really great that you can talk on such a big platform such as BBC Radio. Um, this is like a job interview question. <laughs> what are you bringing to these conversations, Lydia Ruffles? Um, uh, I mean, I guess it, I just... I think all voices are relevant. Like the more stories we hear, the better. And I suppose um, like the, the way that I kind of interpret mine is that um, I have a sort of personal and professional interest in it. So And so maybe that's different to some people. Um, and I think also like I'm at the point now where I can talk about it like honestly and um, it doesn't cause me any stress to do so and I think um that's that's a really important thing to acknowledge when we're saying like oh you know you need to talk about mental health like there there are kind of steps in between like silence and going on radio and talking about it like um and I think sometimes that nuance is missed particularly like you know on Twitter and with these campaigns and and, and you know it's because Twitter is literally reductive you only have a few characters to say what you want to say um and so I think you know, any conversation is important. Like being on radio is not more, like you, more people might listen to it, but it's not more valid than, you know, someone asking a friend for help or someone like checking on their neighbour or whatever it may be. Um, and so I think like, it's really important to acknowledge that like, you can start small with conversations and actually it doesn't always mean talking. It might mean sending someone a link to an article. It might mean just sending like someone a meme or you know watching a film together and saying like oh I felt like that or you know whatever it may be um and I think like the responses that I've had to doing it have kind of shown me that it's having some impact um which makes me feel good so <laughs> We feel the same about yeah. the um, about the podcast. Like we can't believe the response that we've had. And I mean, we launched our, at the moment. It's October. Um, we launched our social media in September, and we've just had four episodes out. And the messages, um, private and public, that we've been getting um, have just proven that it's something that people are like, "Oh yes, I need to hear about this." And that's really, really great, and great to hear from you as well. So let's talk about your first book, uh, titled The Taste of Blue Light. What inspired you to write this? Um, if you can, without getting any plot spoilers, uh, talk us through the um, kind of main themes of it. So The Taste of Blue Light um, is the book that I wrote in bed. Um, and it is a story, it's about a 17-year-old artist called Lux Langley, who attends a boarding school for artistic and creative young people. Um, and it starts at, um, she's just gone back to school and we know that she's done a summer internship in an art gallery and something has happened and she's woken up in hospital and she doesn't know what's happened to her. She's miss, missing a few hours of her life and she starts getting all these um, like strange kind of mental and physical symptoms um, and it eventually becomes clear that she's suffered a trauma Um and so it's about it's about art and creativity and mental health um it's also about like first love and friendship um kind of that sort of being on the cusp of adulthood um it's i guess it's like a coming of age story um in a way and um the first line of it if i can remember it cuz i wrote it such a long time ago now and i've written another book and a half since then is something like um i will find the old lux and when I do, I will climb back inside her and sew myself into her skin so I never get lost again. And that, um, yes, dramatic, dun, dun, dun. Um, that was like born out of the fact that I was really ill at the time and I just didn't know what was wrong with me. Um, it's quite heavily um, autobiographical book. It's based on like things that happened to me in hospital, things that I've experienced. Um, although it's about post-traumatic stress disorder, it brings in things around like anxiety and OCD and um, also drew on some of my time like in doing training, acting training. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a lot of different things. Um, and it just it's I had no intention of getting published when I first started writing it I never I was not not one of those people that was like I want to be a novelist um you know I'm going to write a book someday it just kind of um 
happened <laughs> and then obviously I am now um it's my my job yeah <laughs> that's so great where can people buy your book <laughs> um they can buy it anywhere people buy books basically <laughs> great so talk to us about your second book so the second book is called color me in and um it's about a 19 year old actor whose name is Arlo Thomas and he um basically has just quit a job on a soap opera um, and is feeling like this kind of familiar um, black weeds like creeping through his mind and is kind of fearful that he's going to enter another depressive episode as he has done in the past. Um, And he has a project on the roof of his building with his flatmate um, and that goes wrong basically. Um, no spoilers but (laughs) there is a tragedy and Arlo flees to the other side of the world and he takes with him just this sketchbook full of maps and he meets this young woman um called Mizuki and they basically realize that they're both trying to get lost for very different reasons and they go on this adventure around um what is basically Japan but is unnamed um and again it's kind of about creativity and mental health um particularly in this case um male mental health and friendship and um like masculinity and lots of things like that um and basically the reason that the protagonist is 19 and a man is because I didn't want to write another very personal book um but I actually wrote it um when I was started writing it when I was in Japan um just after a friend had passed away um and basically ended up writing another incredibly personal um books I think that's just what I'm destined to do basically so um obviously you're studying for your master's at the moment um what do you plan to do after that what is your plan for the future Lydia evil laugh um yeah so I've got quite a lot on my plate at the moment um obviously the masters will take me to the end of next year and I hope to produce some research that might be useful hopefully something good will come out of that um and I'm working on my third book at the moment um which is about um seaweed sex and psychosis so I'm about 25,000 words into that um And then in the slightly longer term, I would like to get back into performing. So I'm working on um, an autobiographical solo performance at the moment, um, which is tentatively titled um, Even My Psychosis is Pretentious, um, which is kind of about um, how a lot of my, like I do painting as well. And um, obviously my my books are kind of about about characters who are artists. Um, both of them were inspired by um, like very unusual moments in um, art galleries so colour me in um, an idea came to me when I was in a subterranean art gallery in Osaka (laughs) and I kind of believed that the paintings were trying to communicate something to me (laughs) so just this idea of like um, yeah basically being very pretentious and but but you know um, kind of telling the story of like mental health and um like it's really important to me that um like we're allowed to make jokes about stuff like this and that um we like some of the things that I'm interested in are like how we think about uh illness and wellness and quite often they're seen as like a sort of binary in culture like you're either sick or you're well whereas for most people actually you exist on a spectrum and you might move along that um like for me to aspire to be like 100% sane and healthy is probably not really an achievable goal um and so I think like different kinds of stories about recovery are really interesting like the idea that you know you can get better you can get to a place where you're like functioning and healthy but you might not um be exactly the same as you were before and it might not be a linear journey so oh I just used the word journey gross (laughs) Um, so yeah working on that and then who knows I don't know I'd like to go to South Korea which is not really relevant to this podcast but who knows what I might find there (laughs) so lots of exciting possibilities in the future so what what do you think needs to change within society with regards towards mental health 
Um, I'm assuming this podcast is four days long, so we've got <laughs> time to talk about this. I mean, as we've sort of discussed, like, um, I think we've got a bit of a way to go in terms of the language that we use to talk about mental health. Um, and I think also it's, like, quite easy for people um, in certain industries or living in certain places to feel that, like, stigma is being reduced, but there are certain... Um, you know pockets of industry or places around the country where it's still very difficult for people to open up um so I think um that's something that we need to work on um and I mean god where to start with like mental health services um I think you know with the best will in the world um talking like it can get us so far and it definitely I definitely believe in the value of it and have been you know have personally benefited from it but it can't be a substitute for adequately funded mental health services. So, um, you know, ideally we need to see investment and policy change around that, which, um, you know, we can influence by voting for people who we best feel represent um, what we want. Um, Another thing that I think we maybe need to think about is um, representations of mental illness in, you know, on TV and in film. Um, You know, I have a particular bugbear with um, a a popular Netflix series that I I won't name um, because I don't think it deserves the airtime. But um, I think we need to be really careful around producing culture that... um, is not stigmatizing and that is useful and that doesn't mean it can't be entertaining you know the opposite of a program like I'm going to name it because otherwise this is pointless the, the, the opposite of something like 13 reasons why isn't like don't talk about young people and mental health don't show suicide on tv it's to do it in a way that like doesn't contravene globally agreed guidelines on how to keep children and young people and vulnerable people safe um So, you know, again, we're back to like language and um, how we depict things. So I think there's definitely still work to be done on that. But actually, um, I've seen a lot of plays this year, which I think have done an amazing job of like articulating the experience of what it's like to be mentally ill, um, showing different perspectives on recovery um, that at the same time have been like hugely entertaining and like beautiful and challenging to watch so it's definitely possible and I find that really encouraging and um you know we as people in creative industries I think have a part to play in that I'm gonna get off my soapbox now (laughs) okay (laughs) so finally could you walk into a room uh today and say I'm having a bad mental health day I think um it would depend on the room. It would depend on who is in it. Um, but, and I might not use that phrase exactly, but I think I definitely have got a lot better at um, like knowing what I need in certain situations. And so um, that goes back to, again, like being sort of tuned into yourself. So for example, like when I'm deep in writing a novel, I'm spending all my time like in my flat by myself Um my like mental health needs are different to when I'm doing like a lot of PR and um you know kind of going from like literary events to radio interviews um and so I definitely would say like to the people around me I would have no qualms about saying like I need to go outside and jump around because I'm like really anxious or um you know can we move that to tomorrow because I just don't feel like I'm gonna do the best today or if I can't then you'll just have to accept that you know the result might not be the best um so yeah I could but I I also am really aware that like the rooms that I walk into are very like open and welcoming um so yes and no maybe depends on the day in the room really (laughs) you know most people say it depends um (laughs) And I'd be exactly the same. Uh, Lydia, thank you so much for joining me for this little chat. It's been so insightful to hear you talk. Um, we're just going to finish with a quick fire game of finish the podcast. No, sentence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, finish the sentence. Cool. So my guilty pleasure is there's no such thing. Pleasure is not attached to guilt. I love that answer. In the future, I want to be me. The weekends are for 
the same as weekdays. There's no structure in my life. <laughs> Writing is important to me because uh, it's how I express myself. It's how I communicate with people. It's how I know what I think. Uh, it's how I know what other people think. Uh, it's how I tell stories. It's how I receive stories. Everything, everything, forever and ever. My go-to happy place is... Um, I don't know if I have one. I think I need to work on that. My pet hate is? Oh, gosh. Um, rudeness. People who put their bags on seats on buses. Um, pineapple on pizza. Uh, Stigmatising language. Lots of things. It depends if I'm in a bad mood, like everything is my pet hate and other days it just slides off me. <laughs> uh, I'll add one in. My favourite pizza topping is? No, nothing. Cheese and tomato, margarita. Classic style. Yeah. We should all be a little more... Playful. Mm. On top of my Christmas list is? I don't celebrate Christmas. <laughs> really? <laughs> Fair enough. I opted out for mental health reasons 10 years ago and it was one of the best decisions that I've ever made. Totally fair. <laughs> Great. Lydia, thank you so much. If you would like to be featured on the podcast or you just have any thoughts that you want to share with us, please send us an email on industrymindsuk at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at industrymindsuk. We are on Apple Podcasts and on SoundCloud. Please make sure you subscribe and give us a wee cheeky five-star review if you like what you hear. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back with you very, very soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for having me.